I'm excited about the series we've been in because uh, I've just had so many great comments as far as um, the things that we've been working on, things we've been doing, the help that it's given to so many people. Uh, the series has been called Hope for the Broken. And uh, as we began this series, one of the things we discovered was this. Uh, there's not a person in here that's not broken. I mean, we're all broken vessels. We're all broken people. We're broken by the sin that we commit. We're broken by the sin that's done to us. We're broken by our circumstances of life and the troubles we go through. We're broken, and, that, and that's just reality. And the problem is we try all kinds of things to fix ourselves, but we can't. And we'll, we'll see that in just a moment. We are just broken people. Last week, we began to unpack uh, this, main, this main theme, and it's simply this. How can I set me free from me? How can I set me free from me? And this is why we say that. That is because the Bible talks about three enemies that come against us. There's the world that comes around us. There's Satan that literally comes against us. And then there's the flesh that comes from the inside of us. And this, these three enemies want to take us out in our Christian walk and in our Christian life. But the thing we discovered last week was this. The biggest enemy that we have is who? It's us, and it? It's me. My biggest enemy is me. It's that flesh part of me. And so if I want to learn how to be set free from me, I, I've, I've got to discover how to handle the things in my life, the choices I make, the things that I do that bring upon my life that the, the hurt and the discouragement and, and, and uh, the disappointment and those things that we go through. Now, last week, we began to unpack and look at what we referred to as seven weapons of self-destruction. Seven weapons of self-destruction. And almost any psychologist that you talk to will tell you that these seven things have the potential of literally destroying lives and just messing people up. The seven things were this, shame, uncontrolled thoughts, compulsions, fear, hopelessness, bitterness, and insecurity. These seven things tend to put us in a self-destructive mold that affects the choices we make. And so if that's the case, then, then what's the solution? Well, I believe that Romans chapter 8, and if you got your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one hopefully under one of the seats in front of you, or if your neighbor's not looking, maybe you can use theirs. Um, but anyway, grab a Bible. You'll be able to follow along on the screen as well. Romans chapter 8. Because Romans chapter 8 is an amazing chapter, but it gives us the answers. I believe it gives us the cure to each of these seven things that we've talked about. Now, if you remember from last week, at the end of Romans chapter 7, in verse 24, this is what Paul wrote. He said, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Now, notice, again, like we talked about last week, he didn't say, what will free me? He said, who will free me? The reason is because the answer to your problems is not a pill. The answer is not a bottle. The answer is not the latest TV show out or the latest, you know, instructional guru that's out there. It's not a book. It's not Oprah. You know, it's none of these things. But it is a person 
And his name is Jesus Christ. In fact, look at verse 25, because Paul goes on and says, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so the beginning point of freedom, of being set free for me, starts when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. That's what this first cure that we unpacked last week was all about. Hopefully you'll remember what we talked about. It's simply this, to overcome the weapon of shame. Remember, because shame was that first weapon. To overcome the weapon of shame, I must remind myself daily what God through Jesus has done for me. I must remind myself daily what God through Jesus has done for me. And the first four verses of chapter uh, 8 of Romans deals with this. But verse 1 sets the stage. I love this verse. Look what it says. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I mean, how awesome is that? There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And because of that, those who are in Jesus, those who are in Christ, are no longer under condemnation. So let's get started unpacking the cure for the rest of these self-destructive habits. But before we do, let me pray real quick. Lord, I just thank you for this time. But right now, Lord, I just pray... I just pray that our hearts and our minds will be open to what you have for us. And Lord, may your spirit speak today and may your spirit touch our hearts and minds. And God, if we struggle with these things, any of these things, set us free today, Lord. Set us free. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the second thing is this, to overcome the weapon of uncontrolled thoughts, I must ask the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts. I must ask the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts. Paul goes on in verses 5 and 6, and this is what he says. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, here's what we can never forget. There are two kinds of mindsets. There's the mindset of the old nature. Our old nature that's controlled by Satan. It's controlled by the world and, fl- and our flesh. And then there's the mindset of the new nature that's controlled by God's Holy Spirit that lives within those who have taken Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And every day of your life, you're going to have to choose which one of these voices you're going to listen to. You're going to have to make a choice on who you're going to listen to and then who you will follow. Paul reinforces these thoughts in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By how? By changing the way you think. You see, we got to change the way we think to be able to control those thoughts. You see, if I want to be set for me, it starts by being renewed, by being transformed, by changing the way I think, and then following that new nature that God has put within us. The Bible is very clear that the way we act is determined by the way we feel, and the way we feel is determined by the way we think. So if you want to change the way you think, it's going to, if, so if you change the way you think, it's going to change the way you feel, which in turn will change the way you act. The next part of verse uh, of this verse in Romans 8, Paul puts it this way. Look what he says. 
He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. So the mind controlled by the old nature is death, he says. But the mind that's controlled by the new nature, which is controlled by the spirit of God, is what? It's life and peace. Now let me ask you, how many of you would like to have some real life and some real peace this summer? Anybody? Okay. Start controlling your thoughts. Start listening to the right voice. Here's the thing. Your peace is determined by the mindset you choose. In other words, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on the things that lead to death. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things that lead to life and peace. Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3. Look what he says. He says, set your minds on what? Things above. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died. You know, when you gave your life to Christ, when you surrendered to him, you died to the old nature. The problem is we keep trying to resurrect it so they can have control of us. Paul says you died to that, and your life is hidden with Christ. Remember, whatever you focus on gets your attention, and whatever gets your attention gets you. That's why if you want to break free from uncontrolled thoughts, the key is to refocus on God's spirit that is inside of you and listen to his voice. So let me ask you, are you asking him to help you to change your thoughts? And then are you listening to what he says as he begins to refocus you, to renew you, and to transform you? So he can transform the way you think. Now the third cure is this. To overcome the weapon of compulsions, I must realize that I have a new ability to say no. Kind of goes along with what we've just talked about. But to control that weapon of compulsions and to get over that, we got to realize we have a new ability to say no. In other words, we don't have to say yes. We don't have to give in to that old nature. You see, not only do we have a, a new nature, but we also have a new power source that gives us the ability to say no. Look at verse 9 of Romans 8, verse 9, because this is what it says. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are now controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Let me stop here and explain something. I think some people unknowingly, or I don't know what, but I think some people live like they think that you just kind of get, get God a piece at a time. In other words, at some point you surrender and, and Jesus comes into your life. But then maybe a little later then when things go better, then the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And then all of a sudden you realize that God's there and He's your father, and now he's in your life. And we kind of live our life that way, but, but here's the truth of the Scripture. The truth of the Scripture is this. When Jesus Christ came into your life, you got all of God. You didn't just get a piece of him. You got all of God. God doesn't come into your life 
a piece at a time. You remember last week I talked about nest, nesting dolls? I couldn't find any. So I did find nesting Tupperware. <laughs> okay. Now, so this is nesting Tupperware. Now, I wanted to draw faces on these, but they're Carol Ulrichs, and so she really didn't want me to draw faces on these. But let's suppose this represents your life. So if you're kind of small and squatty, this this may anyway, this represents your life. And you give your life to Christ. When you give your life to Jesus, he comes and lives within you. And at the same time, his Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. And at the same time, the Father comes and lives within you. And guess what? Every piece of God is in you. There's, there's no longer separate pieces. When you get God, you get all of him, not just a part of him. And so to live life controlled by the old nature, to listen to the mind of the old nature, is, is saying, all of a sudden, I've tried to take these pieces apart. And I've tried to, to maybe take the Holy Spirit out because I don't want him telling me what to do anymore. And you've got to understand, you can't do that. Why? Because you've got all of God, not just a part of him. The moment Jesus came into your heart, God put his self and his spirit in you as well. You have all of God living and working in and through you. And so the question should really be this. Does God have all of you? Does God have all of you? Because you have all of him if you've given your life to him. The question is, does he have all of you? Look at verse 12. He goes on to say, so dear brothers, you have no, get this, you have no obligations, whatever, to your old sinful nature to do what it begs you to do. Did you get that? We don't have any obligation anymore to listen to the old nature. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. This is the message Bible. It says, my counsel is this, live freely, animated, and motivated by God's spirit then you won't feed. Get that? You won't feed the compulsions of your selfishness. You see, the difference is when you're motivated by your new nature, you have a new power source that helps you to stop feeding those compulsions that you have, those lusts, those things that begin to pull you away from the things of the Spirit. And you have that new power source that helps you to refocus your thoughts on the things of God, and that power source helps you to say no to the old nature. Now, the fourth cure is this. To overcome the weapon of fear, I must turn my thoughts to God whenever I'm afraid. I've got to turn my thoughts over to God whenever I'm afraid. Now, I've shared this with you before, but, but it fits so well here. I just want to share it with you again. Some of you have heard this. Some of you may not have. But when my boys were younger, especially Kyle, Kyle was probably, I'm guessing, um, probably first or second grade, right in there. He went through a period of time where he had nightmares. And he would wake up and he'd be scared. And as a parent, you have probably experienced this, I'm, I'm sure. And that is you're sound asleep, but you sense there's a presence looking at you. <laughs> and you're startled and you wake up. And, and that's what would happen. I, I would, and Kyle would be, literally just be standing there looking at me. <laughs> And I'd say, Kyle, what's wrong? 
And he'd be crying and he'd say, Daddy, I'm scared. And so I'd pick him up, I'd carry him off to bed, and I'd pray with him, and I would sit there with him. And literally within minutes, he would be sound asleep. Now what made the difference in his life? What helped him to go from being fearful to being secure? What helped him do that? You know what helped him? It was the presence of his father. The presence of his father. Look what Paul writes in verses, starting in verse 14 through 16. The true children of God are those who let God's spirit lead them. Then look at this. The spirit we receive does not make us slaves again to what? To fear. We're not slaves again to fear. It makes us children of God. And with that spirit, we cry cry out, Father. Or the Aramaic term here is Abba. Abba. Little Aramaic kids would run around, and when they see their daddy, they would go, Abba, Abba. It means father. It means daddy. It's the most basic and intimate form of daddy, of father. That's what he's saying. He says, with that spirit, we cry out, Abba, or Father. And, that, and the spirit himself joins with our spirits to say we are God's children. So here's what I want you to do. When the enemy stops, starts bombarding you and you start being afraid, this is what I want you to say. I want you to say, now wait a minute, Satan. Do you know who my father is? Because my father is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And my brother is Jesus. And my brother has already died and defeated you on the cross. And then he rose again to victory. And living inside of me is their spirit who gives me the power to overcome anything you throw my way. He's my father and I'm a child of God and I have nothing to fear. Now do you believe that? You see, when you're afraid, just remember who your dad is. You're a child of God. You're not a slave to fear anymore. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy 1.7. He said, God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Now, the fifth cure is this. To overcome the weapon of hopelessness, I must focus on the long term and not the short term. I've got to focus on the long term, not the short term. There was a study done by Harvard University that found out that the, that the more long-term thinking you had, the greater the potential for having a successful life. But they also found the opposite to be true, and that was this. Short-term thinking led to greater chance of failure. Why? Because short-term thinkers tend to focus on today, on the immediate, on the here and now, on what feels good to them today. As a Christian, when we think long-term, guess what it's called? It's called eternal life in heaven kind of thinking. That's what it's called. And that type of long-term thinking is one of the keys to being successful in your walk with Jesus Christ. Look what Paul writes in verses 17 and 18. Since we are his children, he says, we will possess. Now I want you to circle or underline that word will. Why? Because that's future. It's not present. That's future. We will possess the blessings he keeps for his people, and we will also possess with Christ what God has kept for him. 
Here's the thing we forget. God has amazing blessings stored up for his kids. The problem is we want them all in the here and now. And that's short-term thinking. But God says, think long-term. Think in terms of eternity because that's where these amazing blessings are going to be realized. He goes on to say, for if we share Christ's suffering, we will also share his glory. I consider that what we suffer at this present time cannot be compared. In other words, it is just small potatoes with all the glory that is going to be revealed to us. This is what I believe Paul is saying to us. This is what I think he's saying this. You know what? It's not always easy living for Christ. And I should know, he says. After all, they've tried to kill me numerous times. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I know what it's like. It's not always easy doing the right thing. It's not always easy making the right moral decisions and choices. But the benefit long term is going to far outlast the pain or the suffering that we go through in the short term. That's what he's saying. We got to think long term. We got to think about the glory of God. The sixth cure is this to overcome the weapon of bitterness, I must remind myself that God is good and in control, no matter how messed up my life may seem. God's good and in control, no matter how messed up life is. Here's the problem I see. You see, it's not that we don't believe that God is good and in control. The problem is, we just don't believe he's good and in control of our lives. I mean, we might, he might be good to everybody else, but not to us. And, we think, and when we think that, that's the path that leads to bitterness. And bitterness will begin to start growing in your heart and mind, and it will eventually take you out. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of this, but verses 19 through 25 is a great section because here he describes how sin has damaged the world. But verse 20 kind of sums it up, this section. Look what he says. Everything created is subject to frustration, waiting to be liberated, to be set free from its bondage to decay. All of creation groans in pain like childbirth, and we groan inwardly. And the result of living in a broken world is pain. And a byproduct of pain is bitterness and resentment. Now, if we were to just stop there and not look at any other verses, life would seem pretty hopeless, wouldn't it? But he goes on. And starting in verse 26, he begins to give us four things that we need to remember that shows that God is in control and that God is good. And the first one is this. The Holy Spirit is praying for you and me. Did you realize that? I mean, did you know that the Holy Spirit of God is praying for you? Look at verses 26 to 27. The Spirit helps us with our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we should. Ever felt that way? But the Spirit himself speaks to God for us. The Spirit of God prays for us. And even begs God for us with deep feelings that words cannot explain. God sees what's in our hearts. And the Spirit speaks to God for his people in the way that God wants. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit that's in you, that Holy Spirit is praying for you. And when you don't know what to say, guess what? He does. 
when you just have no more words, when life is just kind of squeezed in on you to the point that you just can't get a word out, guess what? The Spirit already knows what you need. And He knows how to pray. And He prays for you. But the second thing is this. God is using everything in your life for good, even when the things themselves are not good. Look at verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You know, there's a lot in life that's not good, but God uses it all for good. God is greater than my problems. God is greater than my enemies. God is greater than my critics. And God is using everything in my life for good. The third is this, God is with you. He's on your side, and that makes all the difference. How many of you remember when you were growing up in school, and especially when I was growing up, and you're outside for recess, and you begin to divide up for teams, whatever that was. Now, you may be the real athlete, Terrence, you know, that everybody wanted, you know, and still does. Yeah, I want Terrence on my team, you know. Or you might, you might be that, that other person that nobody really wants on their team. But you remember choosing sides and, and, and picking teams, and you, you, you knew you wanted that big guy. You knew you wanted that one that was just going to dominate and, and make everything okay. God says, I'm on your team. I'm on your team. In fact, I'm on your side. And you really don't need to pick anybody else. Because with me on your team, there's nothing that can come against us. In fact, look what he says in verse 31. So what can we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Fourth thing is this. God will always give me what I need, not necessarily what I want. When I'm feeling frustrated, resentful, and bitter, I need to remind myself that God will always give me what I need. Look at verse 32. Since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God, who gave us Christ, give us everything else? If God loved you enough to let Jesus die on the cross for you, don't you think he loves you enough to help you with your issues? There's nothing in your life that God doesn't care about, and he will give you what you need. Which leads me to this last and final cure, to help overcome the weapon of insecurity, I must never forget that God will never stop loving me. Other people may stop, but God will never stop loving me. Never. Let me ask you, how do you define love? I mean, how do you define love? I mean, what does it mean to you when you say the word love? And what does it mean when it is said to you? Here's why I ask that que- those questions, because there's two problems that I see when it comes to understanding the love of God. The first is this, we basically have one word for love in, in our language, whereas in the Greek there was at least four different words that described love. And so we just use the word love just to describe whatever. So I love my house, I love my car, I love sports, I love my wife, I love my dog, I love my kids. And I don't know what order you put them in, but you better not love your wife the same as you love your dog or your car, you're in, you're in some deep doo-doo there, guys, okay? But yet we just throw the word out there, not really giving thought to what we're saying or what it means. The other problem is this. Sometimes the way we live or the way we are treated or the dysfunction in our life or in our family or in our relationships, all these things can color how we view 
life and especially how we define love. That's why some people can't understand or accept the fact that God loves them and loves them unconditionally. But the truth is, he always has and he always will. In fact, he loves you so much that he thought, guess, get, get this, he thought you were worth dying for. I mean, how awesome is that? Let me remind you of what the Bible says. For God so what? Loved the world that he what? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In Romans 5, 8, we read, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, what does it say? Christ died for us. I've told you this before, but, I want, but it helps illustrate this. When we were moving here from Arizona and we put our house on the market, I talked to my neighbor across the street who was a realtor, and I just simply said, this was, this was in 2008 in August when everything was tanking, and especially in Arizona. We were thinking in our minds, we'll be lucky to come out with anything. We'll probably owe something. And our realtor, so I asked our realtor, I said, man, I said, we're getting ready to possibly move, and we need to put our house on the market. What do you think? Because he knew our little neighborhood. It was a great neighborhood. I said, what do you think we can get? And this is what he said. He said, your house is worth whatever somebody will pay for it. I said, gee, thanks. That helps me a lot. Why don't you slap me on the other side of the face? But, the, but it's true, isn't it? It's worth whatever somebody will pay for it. So if you want to know what your life is worth, how much value you have, it's what, it's what somebody is willing to pay for it. And you know what that was? It was the very Son of God. Jesus Christ died to show you how much value and how much worth you have in your life. So never forget that God loves you. And you have extreme value and worth in the eyes of our God. Paul put it this way in Romans 8, starting in verse 38 and 39. Look what it says, and we're closing. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the, his love. Death can't, and life can't. The angels can't, and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me tell you, I may lose a lot of things in my life, but I'll never lose the love of God upon my life. We need to reflect. I want to ask April to come. She's just going to play, and the worship team's going to make their way up. And we just need to reflect for a moment. We've talked about a lot of things through this series, Hope for the Broken. But my prayer is that the things we've talked about today are some of the things that are going to help you, put you on a path of hope. Put you on a path of seeing what God has for you in your life. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know necessarily what you need. But I do know this. We have a God who thought you were worth dying for. We have a God who wants to pour into you and love you. We have a God who didn't just give a part of himself to you. He gave all of himself to you when you accept him as your Lord, as your Lord and Savior. 
So maybe that's the first step is this. Have you taken Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted him to your heart and your life? Because if not, then that's what you need to do. Or maybe you just need today to just surrender and repent and say, you know what, God, you're right. I've just been, I've been listening to the wrong voice. I've been allowing the old nature to have control. And I've got to listen to the new nature that's controlled by the Spirit. We're just going to take a moment to reflect. And if you have any decision upon your heart, anything you just need to get right with God, you come and sit down here and we will pray with you and we'll encourage you today. Let's just reflect for a moment.